Welcome to the Cap City Church podcast. This is the recording of our Sunday message. We pray that you are encouraged and challenged as you listen to this. Enjoy. Quick question for all of you. How many of you, uh, how many of you change your mind easily? Anyone like that? If, if you, you know, just kind of go with the flow type people, roll with the punches. If the plan changes, you're okay and you're just, you're just there for it. How many of you are like that? Just quick show of hands again. I saw a few. How, how many of you are like me where if the plan changes, ev- everything is just kind of spinning into chaos? I'm like that. I'm a little bit like if I've got it in my mind, like if, I, if I'm not part of the plan, if I'm not part of the decision-making process, I'm fine. I'm super chilled. Go with the flow. Every, but, if, but if I've got an idea in my head about what is meant to happen and it changes... I start to fall to pieces a little bit. And, uh, and the only reason I say this is this week we were meant to be, I was meant to be preaching a message that was kind of, you know, got a bit of a preaching rotor as to, to how we're going to move through Exodus and what we're going to do. Uh, but on Thursday evening, I had a message from, um, from one of the lounge groups. Uh, and they were meeting, they were, they're in Exodus at the moment, they're kind of doing uh, bits of study uh, during the week as well. Uh, and it was quite an angry message. And basically, I was told off. I said, Luke, we're doing, we're doing Exodus. We're doing the book of Exodus. And, um, and we've not done the crossing of the Red Sea. Why is that? Why have you just moved past that part of the story and just carried on? And I thought, oh, I thought we did do that. And, you know, I kind of, one of the great things about going through the, the, the podcast that we've got now of our Sunday morning messages. So I went back. I listened to the one that... And, um, and in my defense, I did spend about two or three minutes talking about it. <laughs> so to be honest with you, I've been told off. So we're, we're halfway through the series. And, uh, and I don't know about you, I've really loved this series. I think some of the, particularly some of the messages that Abby and Neil have brought have been absolutely spot on. Um, and it's, it's one of those things that I find it so encouraging when we stop and when we look through books of the Bible. Uh, we're looking through a book of the Bible that describes uh, historical events from over 3,000 years ago. And yet somehow God speaks through this into our lives in ways that is meaningful, uh, in ways that challenge us and, and shape us as followers of Jesus. And I find that hugely encouraging uh, and, and really uh, such a blessed time for us together. Um, but like I said, we've missed something important. And we've not obviously, obviously not given it enough time to the actual moment of the Exodus, that kind of defining moment in which uh, God's people leave Egypt and cross through the sea. So like I said, we talked about it for about two minutes in November, but by popular demand, just like the Israelites wandering in circles in the desert, <laughs> we find ourselves back on these shores. And what I will say is, is we can be honest, it is probably, if you, if you see any kind of Exodus-themed movie, the coolest moment, cinematically at least, is that point in which the, the sea parts and God's people walk through. There's the kind of scene from the Prince of Egypt. Um, just that moment when, when the sea opens and God makes a way. So I'm going to read from Exodus 14. I'm going to read quite a sizable chunk. So if you've got your Bible and you'd like to follow along, uh, we're in Exodus 14. I'm going to go, how much should we do? Let's go from verse 10 through to 28. Oh, there we go. I decided 14, 10, 28. That's the 14th of October in about, uh, in about five years from now. So, uh, I don't know, something significant about that. I was write that one down. That was, that was a mistake. That's meant to be a dash, not a... Anyway, Exodus 14, 21 to 28. 
It says, uh, so just for context, uh, Israel, uh, you know, we've had the whole uh, story so far that uh, God is going to free his people from slavery, sends Moses, he goes to Egypt, let my people go, no, I'm not going to, let my people go. We get the ten plagues, uh, we get the Passover, and then finally, God's people are free. They leave Egypt, and they're approaching uh, this body of water, what one in particular we'll get to in just a moment, Uh, And they find themselves pursued by Pharaoh. Pharaoh has yet another change of heart. He decides letting letting all this free labor go for free was a terrible idea. So he pursues uh, the Israelites. They find themselves with the sea on one side, with this pursuing army on the other. And that's where we pick up the story. Verse 10, it says, As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified, and they cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? If you've not picked it up yet, the Israelites are very dramatic. And understandably, under a bit of pressure in the scenario, that's, that's to be understood. But there's this idea that they, they, they're like, you know, you've not freed us. You've just brought us out to the desert to die and said. He says, what have, you, um, what have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians. It would be better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. And it's almost like, has God not done enough to show you that he is with you? And there's something really, really human here, something that I think we should all be able to identify with, is we all get those moments in life when we go, just this isn't fair. Or maybe we, you know, we we cry out to God, God, why have you done this? How have you done this? This isn't fair. And for Israel here, it's that reminder, have you not seen that God is with you? He is still with you. It says, then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. He says, raise your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so they will go in after them and I will gain glory through Pharaoh and his army through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. It says, then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved uh, from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. And throughout the night, The cloud brought darkness to the outside and light to the other side, so neither went near the other all night long. And here's the the big moment itself. So verse 21, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. It says, then the Israelites, sorry, then the, the, the Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar, pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, Let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hands over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea 
And at daybreak, the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing towards it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back, covered the chariots and the horsemen, the elite army of Pharaoh that had, that had followed Israel into the sea. None of them survived. And what I want us to think about this morning as we, as we look at this passage, and there's so much going on here, but this is, this is a huge moment. I want us to think, well, what, what does it mean? What is it for? And what does it change? What does it mean? What is it for? And what does it change? And part of the, uh, part of the uh, request that I had from, uh, from that midweek lounge group in terms of doing this, there was a series of questions that I thought, well, actually, I'll take the opportunity to answer some of them directly as well. And I think there's, there's something important about asking questions. And I think in many respects, a good question, it said, is half as good as the answer. Questions open doors for more information. Uh, they allow us for, for deeper learning, for a depth of relationship and insight. Uh, but questions also support other people. I don't know how many times you've been in a room and someone's asked a question and you've either thought, well, I was already thinking that, or maybe even, I wish I was thinking that. And good questions uh, are like a doorway into deeper understanding. So the first question that came up is, was it the Red Sea or the Sea of Reeds? I don't know if you've ever come across this one. Some of you might be familiar uh, and it's kind of, uh, it's one of those ones, it's important to know where you are, isn't it? Uh, where exactly is all this happening? And, um, and I'm going to start honestly, we don't actually know. Now, despite we're given some description, some insight into to where the Israelites were and where they were moving, these are events that happened over 3,000 years ago. And so defining exactly where it's going on is difficult. But some of you will know that there is confusion about where this actually happened. And the traditional translation that most of you, I would have guessed, have in their Bible is that this took place at the Red Sea. And if we jump to the next slide a second, just to kind of help you picture it a little bit, for those of you who are visual learners, the Red Sea is this massive bit down here. So everything from here below is the Red Sea. And then what you've got up here is the Gulf of Suez and the Gulf of Aqaba, kind of shooting up the sides of the Sinai Peninsula. That's my kind of weather reporter's directions. That's enough of that. Um, and so what's usually happened is, is the Red Sea, generally speaking, all the bit below the Mediterranean, around about Egypt there, is the Red Sea. And so it's usually just been called that because it's an easy way to describe all of the water that kind of comes out of it moving up that side. And so, uh, but the problem is, that is not a good translation of what is written in the Bible. There are very clear words in Hebrew to describe the Red Sea, and it's not the one that is used. And so apart from the fact that the Red Sea does describe this huge body of water between Egypt and uh, uh, Saudi Arabia, that's about all we've got to go with. But the other translation that you will more often see in, in either newer translations of your Bible or possibly as a little footnote in your Bible is the Sea of Reeds. And this is not an unreasonable translation. The problem is it's still difficult to know exactly what is being described here. It's not definitive that that's what it means. And this is part of the fun of translating words uh, from a language as it was thousands of thousands of years ago, is you don't always have dictionaries to kind of compare meanings. But what we see here is this idea of the Sea of Reeds being a good translation of the Hebrew Yam Suf. The truth is, it, is it, 
is it doesn't matter too much. Now, obviously, historically and geographically, of course it matters. It's interesting, and, and there are plenty of theories. You've got you know, this one here is, one of the prob is probably one of the more um, commonly accepted routes of, e of Israel out of Egypt. They kind of cross somewhere up the top there. They spend a significant amount of time in the Sinai Peninsula, uh, where they receive the Ten Commandments from God on Mount Sinai. Uh, they spend a lot of time walking around in circles in the desert, and then they eventually head up to, uh, to kind of modern-day Israel, up there to the Promised Land. There are some really fascinating, and if you're interested in this kind of stuff, grab me for a coffee another time, and I can talk at length. There are, there are actual... Um, discussions, his, um, scientific analysis of what could have happened for Israel, what body of water did they cross, and what on earth was going on for the sea to split. Uh, and we'll talk about this in, no, let's talk about it now. It describes a strong wind. Now, the interesting thing is, is did Israel cross somewhere in the Gulf of Suez, somewhere further down there? Uh, did they cross somewhere further towards the top, if we're not so worried about being the Red Sea, but the Sea of Reeds? And there are some fascinating, I've read a fascinating theory um, on Friday night, that there's actually this, this crossing point at the, the Gulf uh, of Aqaba here, this one that kind of goes up between the Sinai Peninsula, and I said I wouldn't do the weather reporting thing again. But this, there's, this, there's this amazing beachhead by here that some have, have posited that actually that was the crossing point. There's all sorts of different um, uh, archaeological and, um, and narrative information that, that posit that as a potential theory, that the reality is we don't no. There are loads of good theories. There's some people that do fascinating um, analysis of, of uh, weather phenomena that can actually cause the winds causing the seas to part and where that might have happened and where these land bridges are for that to be possible. The reality is, is it doesn't matter. The most important thing to note here is to say that this wasn't just a freak accident. This wasn't Israel kind of coming across a, a weather phenomena that luckily allowed them to cross over. It says very intentionally, God sensed this strong wind from the east. That this was God enacting in human history. Now it's important. Does God use natural events? Absolutely. Does God line up events in history so that they happen at the right moment for the right reasons? Absolutely. That's within God's sovereign will and timing. But equally... We believe God intervenes, that all of creation is subject to his will. And what was important for the, for, the, um, for the Israelites here, as well as the writers of Exodus, is that God stepped in at that moment and delivered his people. Another question I got, and I like this one, it was quite a fun one to think about, is, is, what, hap is what happens with the chase? So there's a, another picture of, it's all very... Very yellow, isn't it? Uh, was there a chase? Now, chase scenes in movies are always good for building tension. Uh, they kind of they, they ramp up the excitement. They keep you engaged. They they, they draw you in. And um and and it, you know the question is is how did the Hebrew Exodus outrun the Egyptian chariots? If they were pursuing them, if they were running after them, what on earth is going? And what stopped the Egyptians from running them down in their chariots? And I think the particular question was was it like in Prince of Egypt? Was there that much drama going on? Were they, were they hot on their heels? What was it like? And initially, when the Egyptians decided to pursue the Israelites, they do indeed catch them up. Right at the beginning of that, that passage we looked at, um, they're, they're, they're hot on the heels. That Israel can see the pursuing Egyptian army. And it talks about this pillar of fire and cloud that was leading, uh, leading, Egypt, uh, sorry, leading Israel through the desert, coming round the back and cutting off the Egyptians from them. 
And what we get in that moment is Israel stuck between the Egyptians and fire on one side and this vast, unforgiving body of water on the other. And it says this cloud brought this thick darkness at light and that Israel was waiting there. And there's this type of waiting that is, that is filled with uncertainty, that kind of waiting that is filled sometimes with pain or anxiety. As it says, they, they waited through the night. That they're stuck in that moment. Now, there's, there's that wonder, will God deliver us? Is God going to do something about it? We're stuck here. We've got one problem on one side. We've got another problem on the other. And there's no answer available. I think that's an experience that many of us go through from time to time. That waiting when there is no answer. Those moments in life when we're just, we're just stuck in that place. There are no good options. There's, there's the sea on the one side and your enemy on the other, and you are just stood there waiting. And trust is a difficult and serious task in those moments. Being caught in the midst of trial and pain. How do we stay faithful in the waiting? How do you stay the person that you want to be when there is no obvious way out of your situation, especially when there is real challenge in that place? And as we mentioned before, that idea of trusting that God is at work, trusting that God is faithful is a difficult task when you're stuck in that moment. When you don't know when it's going to end. When you don't know what the way out is going to be. And you can just imagine the experience for, for so many of those Israelites in that moment. You can understand why they're shouting at Moses. Well, well, wasn't Egypt good enough for us to die? And at least we were alive there. You've brought us out here and we're stuck. We're terrified. We've no idea what's about to happen next. And at God's instruction, Moses stretches out his hand over the water. It says this great wind blows, separating out the waters. And Israel begins to cross. And it's just one of those amazing moments when, when we, and we see it in life. Sometimes we have those experiences in life when God just opens up a pathway. When we're stuck in the situation we're in and, and God, God simply works into that situation and opens things up in a way that we're not, was just simply not possible before. And what we see as Israel begins to travel through the waters on dry land, the fire is lifted and Egypt begins to chase them down. It talks about God sending confusion into, into their midst. It talks about possibility of, of the reeds or the vegetation um, causing jams in their wheel and, and slowing them down. But the idea is, is that the might of Egypt is thrown into chaos shortly before the chaos of the waters come crashing down on them. And uh, one more question. I think this is probably my favorite. The question is, well, how significant is this as a moment? Because if, if I ask you, did, did it change Israel? Now, Last week, Neil did a fantastic message when talking about, um, about God's provision of manna from heaven for, for the Israelites in the wilderness and, and plenty more things. But, but what he started by saying is, is they're out of, uh, out of Egypt. They've been liberated. They're now free people. And yet what they start to do is complain. 
and we see this pattern in them. They were complainers in Egypt, and they're complainers out of Egypt. And you go, well, what is going on here? Did anything change? And I love that question because, let's be honest, in many ways, they don't change, do they? They're, they're the same grumbling, ungrateful, problematic, troublesome people outside of, uh, of Egypt as they were inside of Egypt. And on some levels, we, we expect there to be this, you know, here's this dramatic moment, which, you know, which, which modern movies can barely capture the kind of the scale and the magnificence of. God delivers them in an amazing way, and yet nothing seems to change. And yet equally, should we be that surprised? Think about your own life. Think about, about the, the moments of transition and change and transformation. Why would you be any different? God has done something amazing, but, but how often do we still live with the same grumblings, with the same frustrations, with the same challenges? They still grumble. They still forgot how awful their slavery was. They throw complaints and accusations against Moses. So we can ask that question, well, what on earth is it done? Is, is this just another moment in the story? What has happened and does it matter? So if the question is, well, were they changed? Were, were, was there any transformation of the heart going on there? Were they different? And I think the answer is yes and no. And honestly, that is a helpful answer. We'll get to it just as soon as it sounds very unhelpful, and it sounds like I'm dodging the topic a little bit. But the truth is, the crossing changes everything. Their entire identity undergoes this paradigm shift. They are radically different people on the other side of that water than who they were before they went in. They're free. First and foremost, their, their entire identity, their entire sense of who they are is transformed. They are no longer slaves. They are no longer oppressed. They are no longer the property of, of evil and abusive masters. They are free. They are their own people with a promise, with a destiny, with a hope. They have this identity. They belong to God. They are new people. They have this promise and this future. They're free to pursue that future. They could not be any more different than the people they were on the other side of that water. And yet, at the same time, they were still the same people in so many ways. Their status had completely changed, and yet their hearts still needed that transformation. And Neil did, Neil did a fantastic job of pointing that out last week, is that the journey was very important. That transformation is what happens on the journey. And I think there's a balance between, between the big moments and the small moments of life. And generally speaking, I think modern psychology seems to agree that, that change happens both in those big moments of uh, revelation and realization, uh, those times when something huge happens and completely knocks us off course or maybe even knocks us back on course. Those big moments in life are important and they drive change. But the reality is... It's those small, daily, painstakingly boring decisions day in, day out that actually lead to transformation. And they both matter. They're both powerful. And one without, one without the other will not lead to the change that we long for. Some of us may have become Christians because of those big moments. 
Those moments of, of challenge or, or confrontation, those decisions to follow Jesus might have been birthed out of something huge and significant. But even if that is true, it is worked out in the day-to-day of life. Those small decisions you make every day are what make you a follower of Jesus, not those big, grand decisions you made once. The purpose of those significant moments in shaping our faith cannot be uh, underestimated, but there is a preeminence in the ordinary. Those everyday choices to follow Jesus, that is what shapes us. That the big moments give us direction. The big moments give us something to, kind of, to look back to. They give us something that grounds and anchors us, but it's the small moments, those day-to-day choices that actually guide and direct who we are. There's a wonderful example of that in, um, in Matthew's Gospel. In Matthew chapter 17, you have this uh, moment which is often called the, the, the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, that Jesus, has, uh, Jesus brings uh, some of the uh, disciples up with him, and there's this moment in which he's transformed in glory. And Moses and Elijah appear. It's like the sun is shining out of him. It's an incredible moment uh, in which they see just something of who Jesus really is. This is an incredible moment. But what happens after that is they come down this mountain, and they, they enter into a moment of, of pain and chaos in real life. They're confronted with the challenges and the hurts of the people around them. The challenges of people, the problems, the struggles of personal inability, those big moments often get our attention, but it's how we live in those small moments that make us different. And there's something important for us to learn in this. And and, and the New Testament picks this up again and again. Is that Just as God delivers Israel from their oppression into a new place and into a new way of being, the New Testament uses this imagery in baptism. Is that baptism is is a symbol that is used strongly by the Apostle Paul. In in 1 Corinthians uh, 10 verses 1 and 2, Paul refers, refers to the crossing of the Red Sea when he talks about baptism. He says, for I do not want you to be ignorant of the facts, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses, into the cloud and in the sea. That idea of passing through the waters. That baptism, for us, that baptism into Jesus. We're no longer our old self, but we are a new one with a new identity, with a new focus, with a new homeland. The Egypt is now at your back. The promise of new life is ahead of you. The imagery there of death giving way to life through the waters. That God's favor and deliverance are on display for you to see. That for us, baptism is, is that definitive act. It points to that definitive act of redemption. That on the cross, that moment in which God says, uh, this is what I have done for you. That moment we point back and say, this was done for you and for me. This shows that our God is mighty to save. And this 
This moment in the Red Sea points forward just as Jesus faced down the enemies of God's people. He enters into death. He enters as if we're into the sea and comes out on the other side with his enemies defeated with new life, new promise, and new identity for all those who are his. The church, that is, that is our exodus moment. As we step into the waters of baptism, we enter into the death and resurrection of Jesus. We enter the sea with the Israelites. We leave slavery behind. We give our anxieties and our fears over to God. Even if they take the form of an army pursuing us, we step into the water. And when we step out, everything changes. And church, that's, a, that's something I find encouraging personally. There's so many points when I look at my Christian life and go, well, why aren't I more different? Why aren't I utterly transformed? Why aren't I you know, getting these things right just yet? Why am I still, why do I still feel so much like a work in progress? I think so often we, we kind of want that religious experience that just makes us different. We want that moment, that encounter with God that just, just fixes all the problems. Do you know what I mean? And then the truth is we get those. That's, that's not an impossibility. I can, when, I, when, I gave my, when I gave my life to Jesus, when I made a decision to follow Jesus at 15 years old, um, I, don't, I don't think I've mentioned this ever before, I used to swear really badly. I think as soon as I got into high school, there was something that just happened. I was in a new environment, this new sense of I just swore a lot. I like, like, shamefully. And I can remember becoming a Christian, and I'd, you know, I'd always grown up in a Christian family, so my parents would never know I spoke like that. Obviously, I didn't say anything like that when I was at home, but it was like I was a different person. And I can remember becoming a Christian, and, and it just stopped. It was like, like that, that requirement of me to speak in a certain way was just lifted. And there was that fundamental transformation. But, but I can say quite, quite honestly, there are so many aspects of my life where that is not the story, where I still struggle where I'm still finding things really difficult, when I'm still looking back and go, why have I not fixed this yet? Why am I not more patient with people? Why do I fly off the handle so easily? And, and I kind of go, God, why, why am I not just changed in a moment? Surely that would be a good thing. It'd be good for everybody around me if I was a bit more like that, and it would be better for me. And the truth is, while, while God breaks through in those big moments... It's in the journey that God looks to transform us. It's when we take that step into the sea. It's when we, we take that moment of faith and trust that. And again, it's so often in the day-to-day, -day, the ordinary, the painstaking, the boring. That is where God longs to show up. And we, we think about, you know, faith should be these grand religious experiences we have. And those are the things that change and transform us. And yet the reality is because Christianity is so much about a relationship with God. If the relationships we had with the people in our life were only based on those big moments, those grand displays of, of affection or intention, if that was the only thing that sustained the relationship, it would be pretty shallow. Relationships are built in the nitty-gritty, in the ordinary, in the who's doing the dishes, in the tidying up and the sitting down and eating a meal. This is, this is where connection is built. And so much about the Christian life is about bringing God into those moments, about meeting God in those moments. The big moments matter, but the small moments 
build who we are. And I want us to finish. If I'm going to be super quick on this. So I'm going to ask you to stand in just a moment. But I want us to do something a little bit different. I want us to think about taking that step, taking that one step. And, and, and for the people of God, there was that symbolism of, of stepping into the water, stepping out of what they knew, who they were, everything that was familiar, everything that was normal, and into something that was new. And even if that meant stepping into freedom, it is difficult because it is unfamiliar. It is, it is different from everything that came before. There was that step into the sea. And for some of us, it's a symbolic step into something unfamiliar, into something that might be scary or, 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 or cause for anxiety. Is that step into the sea, into the unknown. I think for some of us, it's a step. It's just one more step. It's just where you are right now, just keep going. One more step in that direction. And I wonder, for some of us, it's a step into new territory. Is that for, for Israel, stepping out of those waters onto new land, seeing how God had delivered them, it was a step into something new. A new territory is a scary place. But it's a place where we leave the old behind and step into that new identity or that new season. Sometimes it is just a single step with purpose and with faith. There's that wonderful expression in the Psalms, your word is a lamp to my feet. And I like the illustration. I'm not entirely sure whether the original Hebrew meant to convey this, but if you imagined a lamp on your feet, it doesn't, it doesn't show you too much further. That idea of a, of a lamp to your feet, maybe it might just show you the next step or the next couple of steps. You might not be able to see far ahead, but it shows you that next step. And I think faith is often like that, that step of faith, that step of intention. You don't get to see the end result. You don't get to see exactly where it's going to take you, but you take that step in faith, that intention, that one step that you need to make. Church, can I invite us to stand? We're going to do something a little bit strange now. I don't know, stranger. <laughs> hey, you still stood up even though I said that. That's a good start. Can I ask us to do something a little bit messy and a little bit chaotic? Um, I'd like us to part the chairs somewhat symbolically. Um, you can start doing that now. Don't, uh, don't, don't wait for further instruction. We're just going split, to split the middle. And you can... You can do this symbolically if you want to blow a strong eastern wind as you do it. Just want us to make a space in the middle of the room, and we're going to stand together there just a second. I just say you've done that so incredibly neatly. If it was me, I'd be like knocking chairs out over the place, throwing them this way. Can I, can I invite you guys to stand in the middle? We're going to stand together. We're going to respond and worship in a moment, but this is, I think sometimes it's good for us to do things that are 
physical. There's something symbolic about, about taking a stand, about positioning and orienting yourself in a certain way. And I think the truth is for some of us, it, there's a step that needs to be taken. And that's going to look very differently for, for possibly all of us. But I think sometimes they often say, you know, the first step is the hardest. But actually, I think this, the first step is the one that positions us. The first step is the one that shows the intention. The, the first step is the one that brings direction and purpose to what we're about to do. That when we step boldly into a space, what comes after it is boldness. When we step with confidence into a place, what comes with it is confidence. And sometimes we don't have that boldness or confidence, but the first step is the one that builds it. And so, church, I'm going to pray for us in just a second, and, and I want us to respond. We're going to sing, but, but church, what is that first positioning step you need to take right now? For some of us, like I said, it might, be, it might be a step into the unknown. It might just be one more step along the journey that God is calling us to. And for some of us, it, it is that step into something that is, it is new. There's a new promise. There's a new hope. There's a new identity. And God is calling us to step into that, maybe. And say, this is who I've called you to be. This is who I've made you to be. That you are not what you were. That that past, that oppression, that slavery, that Egypt, whatever it is in your life, is not who you are anymore. That isn't you. That I have made it different. I have made a way. I have called you through those waters. And what I want you to do now is step into that identity as you move forward. Church, I'm going I'm to ask you, in a, again, just symbolically... And whatever it means to you now, whether it means something or whether it doesn't, I ask you to take, take a physical step forward right now. And whatever that means in your heart right now, let it be a declaration. Let it be a tone setter for the response and for the prayer and to the call to God. That, 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 that Jesus, in many ways, we want to step forward as a church. We want to step into that identity. We want to step into the people that you've called us to be. That God, we want to be a, a place where your spirit is moving. God, we want to be a place where, uh, where we, are, we are at work. God, where we are seeing the power of God moving in our midst and through our ministries and in our lives and in the, the new things that you call us to. God, we believe that there are new things for us in this season. God, in many ways, God, we want to step forward into that. But God, in... For some of us now, it's, it's a personal step. There is an individual step we need to take first. And God, I pray for us this morning where, where there is a need for that step to step out of the old. God, to let go of the Egypt. To look back on, on, on the hurt and the pain and the frustration. God, we can't ignore it. We're not, we're not different people, God, but we say it is not ours anymore. God, we refuse to own that history anymore, God. We choose to step into who you say we are. God, we choose the freedom that you give to us. Holy Spirit, we invite you into this place. Holy Spirit, we know that there are, there are decisions we can make. We can take that position. We can orientate our lives in the right direction, God. But what we need is your presence with us. Give us, 
Give us boldness in our hearts, God. Give us fresh vision. Give us fresh energy. Give us fresh direction, God. But that, God, you would, you would see those small steps forward. God, you would see those, those tiny steps just in the place that we're at, God, and, and that you would see to our hearts. God, that, that as we respond to you, God, there would be more from you. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to find out more about us, please visit our website, capcitycardiff.org.uk.